We are in um, our teaching series, Daring Faith. We're a couple of weeks in. If you've been here over the last couple of weeks, um, first a week, Hills kicked us off. Um, talking about how um, daring faith and having faith is about seeing um, our world um, through God's eyes. And seeing our, our, um, our challenges, seeing um, the opportunities that face us with the eyes of faith, with God's eyesight, with God's perspective. And, um, you know, so that um, so often when we have um, challenges in life, they might seem so huge. Um, they might seem like mountains um, to overcome. But actually when you come with God's perspective, who is over all and over all of creation and over all of the universe, the mountains actually are really small molehills and um, can be overcome. And then um, last week, Tim um, took us into the area of um, how our daring faith um, ought to spur us on with God's imagination for God's dreams and God's purposes and God's plan for our life. And um, this evening, I'm going to um, take us on as we consider how we might dare to give our best. Dare to give our best to God with a daring faith. So stick with me. Um, hopefully, um, this will um, be encouraging and spur us on. But um, I want to say something about faith because in the kingdom of God, um, faith has to be expressed in a very real and practical way to be faith. You know, we, we, as followers of Jesus, we have a set of beliefs. We believe that Jesus is in the Son of God. We believe that he rose again um, from the dead and ascended to be with the Father in heaven. And we believe that, that, that he sent the Holy Spirit to equip and empower the church to be all the church. Um, he's, he's called it um, to be. We have a set of beliefs, don't we? And they, they are what help us to define our faith in God. But we're, the Christianity is more than a set of beliefs. Christianity is faith that is worked out in daily living for Jesus. You know, it's, um, you know, it's, it's been said that if our faith was just a set of beliefs, well, the devil has a set of beliefs. He believes in God. He believes in the existence of Jesus. He's encountered Jesus. He met with Jesus on mountainsides and in deserts and he tempted him. And, you know, so even the devil believes in Jesus. But we, as followers of Jesus, are called to put our faith into action. Let me read these words from Paul. When Paul writes to the early church in Galatia, he says this in Galatians 5 verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any, any value. And what Paul is um, addressing there is an issue where um, specifically in the church of Galatia, where Gentiles are becoming Christians and the Jewish Christians from, from Jerusalem are saying, oh, well, they've got to be circumcised. Um, I don't know if you know much about circumcision, but I understand it's quite painful, even as a child. And what Paul is basically saying is the stuff that you think makes you a follower of Jesus, the, the, the sacramental type of thing of being circumcised um, really has no value. And he goes on to say this. He says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Our faith has to be worked out. Our faith has to be expressed in real concrete ways through love. James says a 
even harder thing when he writes to the church and he says this, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And we work out our salvation, we work out our life as followers of Jesus through demonstrating our faith. Well, to help us to think through how we might best live out our our faith, to give of our best, um, let me ask a question which might help set a bit of context of the importance of doing our best in serving God and living out our faith. This question is this. How would your life change if you used more of your time, more of your money, and more of your energy on what's going to last forever? How would your life change if you chose to spend more of your money, your time, and your energy on the things that would last forever? Would your life change? Do you think your life should have that kind of focus? What difference does it make in how we invest our time and our money and our energy? Well, as you... As we read the New Testament particularly, and we read um, the writings of Paul, and we read, we read what Jesus um, himself taught, it's very clear that this world, as we know it, will come to an end. The world as we know it in terms of um, heaven and earth is, is going to, at one point, one point come to an end. Um, we often say, don't we, um, you know, history repeats itself. Well, History actually is moving towards a climax. History is moving towards a climactic event when Jesus, God's son, will return in all his glory and he will renew the whole of the cosmos creation and all of humanity. There'll be, it's the renewal of all things theologians talk about. And um, there's, this, there's this future event, this eschaton, this end time event when Jesus is going to come and return And all those who have been a part of God's family, if they've died, will be raised to new life in the life of eternity with God in the new heaven and the new earth at the renewal of all things. And that's a future event. And that's one of the Christian hopes that we have, that even though we might die, we have a hope of a life in eternity with God. It's something to be thankful for. But um, Peter says this. Since everything on earth will be gone one day, it'll all change, what kind of people should you be? What kind of followers of Jesus should you be? He says this, your lives should be holy and dedicated to God as you wait for the day of God. And that, that phrase, day of God, is, um, is, um, is usually referred to at that time when Jesus himself will return in all his glory. Uh, um, as you wait for the day of God and you do your best, to make it come soon. If you've got your Bible, if you're um, following some of these scriptures on the screen, I'd encourage you to underline those words, do your best, or the, the equivalent in whichever translation it is that you're reading. And here's, here's, here's the link between doing our best 
and the return of Jesus. Peter says that as we wait for the day of God and as we do our best, it will come sooner. And so the more we step into doing our best for God, daring to step out, daring to live our lives totally and utterly sold out for him, daring to do the best that we can in the fullness of God's grace and his love that he has for us and in the power of God's spirit, we quicken the Lord's return. We quicken the Lord's return. It's important that we, get, that we grasp the urgency and the importance of doing our best and seeking to live out our lives for Jesus. You know, if we studied that phrase, do your best, and that's what we're, we're thinking about this evening, how can we do our best for God? If you were to do a bit of a Bible study over on, on that phrase, do your best, God tells us in the Bible to choose the best. Choose the best. Look for the best, bring the best, think the best, do what's best, give of our best. All to God and all in worship. In 2 Peter, um, Peter writes this to the, to the scattered church, to the followers of Jesus, and he says, that, says this to us today. Do your best to improve your faith. Do your best to improve your faith. You can do this by adding goodness, understanding, self-control, patience, devotion to God, concern for others, and love. If you keep growing in this way, it will show that Christ has made your lives useful and meaningful. I don't know about you, but I want my life to be a meaningful life. I want my life to count. I want my life to have significance, and I want my life to have an impact. I suspect that you want the same as well. And so Peter says, do your best to improve your faith, to grow in your faith. Don't be static, don't hold back, but seek to be a grower in your faith. How are you growing in your faith? I wonder how your daring faith has been in this last week. I wonder if you've taken any risks. I wonder if you've seen things through God's eyes. I wonder if you've gone through some kind of like holy, divine, kind of godly imagination of God's purposes and God's plans for your life and how he might want to use you for that. 2 Timothy, in the message translation, Paul writing to Timothy says, concentrate on doing your best. So here's the thing. There's, in scripture, there is this encouragement to do our best. I kind of want to say, and do your duty to God and to the Queen to help other people and to keep the Cub Scout law as well. I mean, I know it's kind of like dib, 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 dob, 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 and all that kind of, but it's not that kind of do your best. It's do your best for who? For the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the advancing of his kingdom in the world. His kingdom in Cheltenham. His kingdom where you work. His kingdom where you study. His kingdom where you meet with your neighbours. His kingdom where you have people round for dinner at a mealtime and there's just this expression of love and conversation that just leads to some conversation perhaps about God. How do we do our best? That's what we're considering um, this evening. How do we give of our best? If you've got a Bible, turn to, to Timothy. Turn to Paul's letter um, to Timothy, the second one. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
Um, the scriptures will appear on the screen behind, but um, I know um, I find it helpful when someone's speaking to also look at the passage kind of like in, on a phone or something. You might want to highlight stuff, underline stuff. Um, I find that helpful. You might find that helpful. But if you've got a paper one and you need pens, you can go to the welcome point and grab a pen if you need it. Here in this passage... In 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're just going to read um, verses 3 to, to 7, Paul gives three examples to his young disciple, Timothy. He gives three metaphors for what it means to live the Christian life. Three metaphors, three images of three particular kinds of people that, that, that um, Timothy could relate to. He speaks about an effective soldier. He speaks about a competitive athlete and a productive farmer. So that's where we're going to go. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets tied up in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. And the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Think about these three illustrations, um, Paul says, and the Lord will help you to understand how they apply to you. So I'm going to try and throw some stuff out and... I pray that the Holy Spirit will help you to discover how they might specifically apply to you. So let's look briefly at each one of these three metaphors. The first metaphor is of a soldier. I wonder what comes to mind when you think of a soldier. Maybe this image is helpful to you. What lessons can we learn from the military? What lessons can we learn from the military? I want to suggest two particular things that every effective soldier does. Every effective soldier, irrespective of what particular discipline they might be in. Firstly, an effective soldier is willing to die. An effective soldier is willing to die. You know, when, um, when a, a young man or a young woman goes to sign up to the army, one of the things they have to consider is, are they prepared to die? Are they prepared to die for the cause for which they're signing up for? To sign up in a military force um, for a particular nation? They have to consider, would they be prepared to die? I wonder if we are willing to die for our faith. You know, I was just um, rereading some um, information from Open Doors um, just about the persecuted church. And, um, you know, just staggering how the church is being persecuted across the globe, you know, in Syria, in North, North Korea, hundreds of thousands who are enslaved for what? For believing in Jesus. I mean, we're in the 21st century. I mean, how archaic does that sound? Does that feel? But people are willing to die for their faith in Jesus Christ. I wonder if we would be willing to die for our cause. You know, when soldiers sign up, they're basically saying, um, we want to fight for freedom and we want to fight for others to know freedom. They're fighting for what they believe to be true, but they're also fighting for the sake of others. Soldiers fight for freedom for themselves, but also for the nations in which they represent. They're willing to give up their life for their freedom. 
When, um, when Jesus talks um, about giving up a life, he says this. The greatest love, in John 15, the greatest love is shown when a person lay down, lays down his life for his friends. You see, for the Christian, the motive of laying down our life is love, it's adoration. It's adoration for our king, it's adoration for Jesus. It's for him. If, I wonder if Jesus would um, require us to lay down our lives, would we be prepared to do that out of love? I wonder what you would be prepared to die for. Would you be prepared to die for a family member? Would you be prepared to die for a friend? Would you be prepared to die for your faith? I'm not saying that you will, by the way, but we have to consider the question, what are we willing to die for? Because the measure of our love towards something will also be reflected in the measure of our sacrifice. The more we sacrifice, the more we're demonstrating our love. That's what Jesus says here. The greatest love has anyone that they give up their life for a friend. And of course, soldiers understand this all too well. Soldiers literally, on a matter of one day from the next, may be required to give up their life for the cause of their nation or for um, the orders that they've been given. Are we willing to die? Are you willing to die? When Jesus um, talks in um, Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 16, um, he's answering questions about what it means to follow Jesus. And he says this to his disciples, if any of you want to be my followers, you must forget about yourself. You must take up your cross and follow me. If you want to save your life, you'll destroy it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. If you totally and utterly sacrifice and surrender your life up for me, you will find it. And for some of us, that might mean giving up our physical life. Who knows? Depends where the Lord might call you. Soldiers are willing to die. Secondly, soldiers are willing to sacrifice their comforts. Soldiers are willing to sacrifice their comforts. I don't know about you, but I can't imagine it's easy or comfortable being a soldier in an army. You know, you've got to get through basic training. You've got to, you know, carry bag, big packs on your back. You know, you've got to, be, you know, be willing to, um, you know, go through training regimes. And that's not comfortable. And in fact, when you might be sent out to a particular conflict, you might be asked to go to somewhere that's really hot. Or you might be asked to go somewhere really cold. It's not comfortable. More than that, you also have to sit under the direction of other people. I wonder how you are being directed and told what to do. I know what I'm like. I find it hard. It's uncomfortable. And soldiers find themselves in uncomfortable situations. They experience hardships. And they're choosing to do that for the sake of freedom for others. It's incredible. And Peter Uh, Sorry, Paul says to Timothy, just at the beginning of this passage in 2 Timothy 2, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Last couple of weeks, um, Zoe and I have really felt the battle. Um, It's felt like we've been in a bit of a battleground. And in fact, I'd probably say that over the last year or so, we've really been in a battle. It's, it's, following Jesus is a real battle. 
And I suspect many of us here, you, have probably experienced the battle of what it means to follow Jesus. Why? Because we're in warfare. We're in warfare with the one that wants to take us out. The devil wants to wipe us out. The devil doesn't want us to follow Jesus. And so, you know, it's a battleground at times. And sometimes, for Zoe and I, that battleground has taken us to tears. It's taken us on our knees. It's been exhausting at times. Because there's targets on leaders' backs. We've talked about that. We've mentioned that before. It's why it's so important to pray for our leaders. Pray for your life group leaders. You know, pray for each other. Why? Because you've got a target on your back as well. And the devil wants to take you out. But the Lord, the Lord is asking us to step up, to dare to be greater in our faith and in demonstrating our faith to the best that we can in the power of the Spirit, under his grace and in his love. It's hard following Jesus, and it's a battleground. Paul, when he writes to the church in Ephesus, talks about the life that we're called to as followers of Jesus when he says this, live a life of sacrificial love, just like Christ loved us and gave himself as an offering and sacrifice for us. Jesus gave himself as an offering, his life, and a sacrifice. He sacrificed, he sacrificed his divinity. He sacrificed his power and his authority and, and yet he was able to do what he did as in his humanity empowered by the Holy Spirit. The wonderful thing about that means is that we can do the same kinds of things that Jesus did in the power of the Spirit as well in our humanity. He offered himself and he sacrificed himself for who? For you. For me. Out of love. I said we may not be asked to sacrifice our lives for Jesus in Cheltenham but I wonder if we're willing to sacrifice our comforts I wonder if you would be willing to sacrifice your comforts you know church I I wonder um, you know are we committed followers of Jesus or are we casual followers of Jesus you know when it suits me when it's convenient you know are we fans of Jesus or followers of Jesus we've used that language here before I don't know about you but when I think of the British Army. I like to think that our British troops are not half-hearted about it. I like to think that they're committed to the cause. And what we do as followers of Jesus, I believe, is more important than any military force. As lo- with love and prayer as our weapon, we have the opportunity to change nations and communities with the extravagant love and grace of God. And nothing can separate us from God's love. That's what Paul says in Romans 8. We are, we, what we do is far more important than any military force. We're advancing the kingdom of God. God's rule and God's reign, not just here in Cheltenham, in Gloucestershire, in this nation, but we have the potential to do it all across the globe for eternity. And that's the significance of what we do. So am I willing to die and am I willing to sacrifice my comfort? The second metaphor that Paul gives, and the next two are a little bit shorter, don't worry, is of an athlete. I don't know what image comes um, to your mind when you think of an athlete. Here's Laura Trott, as was then, this is Laura Kenny. Um, the Bible compares the Christian life to a race. But it's not a 100-meter sprint. It's a marathon. We're in this 
for the long haul. But there are some lessons that we can learn from sports. There are some lessons we can learn from athletes in, with regards to um, our Christian faith. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 to 27, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he reflects again on the Christian journey as a race. And he says this, In a race, everyone runs, but only one person wins the prize. So run your race to win. To win the contest, you must deny yourselves many things that would keep you from doing your best. An athlete goes to all this trouble just to win a ribbon or a medal that won't last, but we do it for eternal reward that will last forever. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I fight to win. I'm not just shadow boxing or playing around. Like an athlete, I discipline myself, making sacrifices and training my body to do what it should, not what it wants to do. Otherwise, I fear I might be disqualified from the race. Two things I just want to draw from in terms of um, this metaphor of an athlete. When an athlete runs, if they're a runner, they enter to win the race. No athlete, serious athlete, enters a race to lose. Now, they might lose, but the, the mindset is, I'm in it to win it. That's what my life is about in this race. I'm going to do everything that I can. I'm going to be 100% committed, 120% committed, whatever it is, because I want to win this race for a gold medal or for four gold medals, whatever it is. What Paul says here is athletes are totally and utterly committed to that. But here's the thing. Those medals, people will forget those medals. I mean, they might be on Google, but at the renewal of the earth, I don't think there's going to be Google. And, and what we do has a lasting, eternal impact. It's huge. Let me ask you a question. Is there a difference between a competitive golfer and a casual one? Is there a difference between a competitive golfer and a casual one? Yes. One plays to win. They're serious about their sports. They're serious about their training. They're serious about what they're setting their goal towards. What is your goal as a follower of Jesus? Have you set yourself some goals in 2017? In terms of where you want to be or how you want to be? Are there elements in your life that you want to change to be the best version of you, yourself in God's grace and in, in his love and in the power of the Spirit? What is your goal? An athlete runs to win. Are we in this, this journey of faith, this following Jesus to win, to win the prize? You might say, well, depends what the prize is. The Bible says it's for greater reward and responsibility in the kingdom. Greater reward and greater responsibility in the kingdom. You might say, well, Gareth, I don't want greater responsibility in the kingdom. Thank you very much. And I can understand a bit of that. But the greater reward sounds a little bit more appealing. The thing is, you can't have one without the other. You can't have one without the other. And the prize is this responsibility in the kingdom. And the reward is 
of eternal significance, not just in terms of ourselves in relationship to, to God, but in terms of those who we might lead to know him. I wonder if you've, um, as a follower of Jesus, if you've ever had the privilege of um, helping someone or facilitating someone or leading someone in a prayer of commitment. It's the most incredible thing ever. And when it happens, the Bible says a party goes on in heaven. There's an eternal party every time someone comes to faith. You know, on Alpha recently, we've had about um, 11 people come to faith. There have been 11 personal parties going on in heaven. They have, the, the angels have been just, you know, knocking back the, you know, the, the chateau, whatever. You know, they've been out popping the corks of the champagne. They've been enjoying what's been going on in, in little old Cheltenham here at Little Trinity. Because 11 people giving their life to Jesus. Amazing. There's a legacy there of a reward and incredible responsibility as well of helping us as a church to nurture those that are new to faith. But there's an incredible reward there of people coming to faith. You know, there is a reward for, for, for each of us in eternity with God. But the more we seek to be the best version of ourselves, and I'll say a little bit more about that, the more we seek to be the people that God created and called us to be and to be totally and utterly sold out and committed to it, running the race to win the race, the more eternal significance there will be in other people's lives. And that might be your family members coming to faith. It might be your work colleagues coming to faith. Because every time someone comes to faith, whilst there's a party going on in heaven, someone has entered into eternity with God. It's the most incredible thing. And we're working out that eternity together. You know, as an individual and as a church I love I love it when people come to faith in Jesus I love it when you know we have this strap line don't we as a church you know what are we about we're to make committed followers of Jesus who change communities and nations for him I wonder if that will be on your radar tomorrow as you go to work I wonder if that thought you know I'm going to work what might I be able to do to help someone get closer to Jesus today? Either through my example or through the love I display or the care that I show to the people that, 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 that I meet so that they might inquire of why I am so amazingly loving or whatever. Do we have that on our radar, radar on Monday morning? Answer for yourself. So an athlete runs to win. Secondly, an athlete disciplines themselves. We know that, don't we? I mean, we don't, we don't have to go through the list of Olympic athletes to know that, that, that athletes, you know, they discipline themselves in terms of diet, in terms of their routines, you know, getting up really early to practice their sports and to work harder. You know, they monitor, they, they monitor themselves. They, they stick to, um, you know, rigorous routines in the gym, working their muscles, whatever it is. And they give up their social life the cost of their social life for their sport. They discipline themselves. I said, what we do is more important as followers of Jesus than a soldier. 
what we do as followers of Jesus is more important than an athlete. Are we training ourselves? Are we disciplining ourselves, whether that's through um, um, praying with a partner, whether that's through in a life group, whether that's um, studying the word of God to become more, more un- to have greater understanding, whether it's stepping out in faith and learning to move in the signs and wonders of the kingdom, not in church, but beyond church and with our friends. You know, are we disciplining ourselves? Paul says, to win the contest, you must deny yourself many things that, that would keep you from doing your best. An athlete goes into strict training just to win a ribbon or medal that won't last. But we do it for the eternal reward that will last forever. So I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do what it should. Training it to do what it should. When we're disciplining our lives as followers of Jesus, and that might be abstaining from things, it might be learning new skills, it might be learning to be more patient, more kind, more generous in our working, env- working environment, more self-controlled in the things that we say and the way that we say them. You know, as we discipline ourselves in these things, we begin to see the kingdom of God come. And it's the way we were created to be. That's why Paul says, it's what I should, my body should do, training it to do what it should. Living under the lordship, under the kingship of Jesus, you know, 24 7, 365 days a year, week, days a week, a year, whatever, for the rest of our lives. That's what we were created for in relationship to bring in God's kingdom. Paul uses two words in that passage I just read, deny yourself. Ouch. I wonder what we're prepared to give up as followers of Jesus. I wonder what you're prepared to give up. You know, maybe it's an hour of TV to focus on things that matter in your life like loving your neighbor, loving your work colleague, praying with someone, going out with someone and you know, talking to them about Jesus. The reality is, is that the Christian faith, there are no shortcuts to maturity. Is there anything that you could be more disciplined in your faith in God? Is there an area where you could be more disciplined? If something comes to mind, I would write it down right now. Put it on your phone. Is there an area of your life where you can be more disciplined? You know, maybe it is stepping up your daily devotional life to something that's serious, not casual. Maybe it's meeting with a prayer partner or committing to serve on a team here at Trinity. You know, maybe it's not having a Sunday morning lie-in, but offering to serve on the youth team. We're in massive need of, um, of, of um, leaders who will just love and care for our young people here at Trinity. We're a massive shortage. Please pray for our, our youth and for our youth leaders. Maybe it's not coming to a Sunday evening celebration or staying at home to watch Call the Midwife or whatever it might be. I don't know what time Call the Midwife's on. But maybe it's, maybe it's going out to serve our older youth on a Sunday night. Maybe it's committing to the next um, eight Thursdays on Alpha to help lead a group. Maybe that's one of the ways in, you might, in which you might deny a particular area of your life. You might give up an evening a week for eight, eight weeks to serve on Alpha. 
Or better still, maybe give up an evening a week for six weeks and meet with some friends, some work colleagues in the pub and just talk about life, faith, God, spirituality. If you need some books that will help you with that, I'll come and see me. I can point, some in, point you in the right direction. What for? For the eternal prize that will last forever. I mean, let's not play games. Let's not do the shadow boxing. Let's take our faith seriously and dare to give the best. The last metaphor, and I'm coming into land, is of a farmer. What can we learn from farming? 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously, if you've got this translation, underline those words, plants generously, will get a generous crop. Meaning the more you plant, the more return you'll receive. You must each make up your mind as to how much you should give. Paul is talking about finance and tithes and giving. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves the person who gives cheerfully. Then God will, give gen- will generously provide all you need, and you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Amazing. You can't outgive God. For God is the one who gives seed to the farmer and, the, and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will give you many opportunities to do good. So here's where Paul switches. He says it's not just about money, it's about doing good and you can't the, the goodness that you demonstrate the good things that you do you can't over out give God in the goodness factor he's the author of goodness he is good but God will return back to you so much more goodness than you could ever give out because you can't out give God you produce a great harvest of generosity in you yes you'll be enriched so that you can give even more generously You'll be glorifying God through your generous gifts and your generosity will prove that you're obedient to the good news of Jesus Christ. In our generosity, our generosity of demonstrating very real practical ways of our love and our care and our consideration for the world, for our, for, for our creation, for each other, for our friends, for our work and our colleagues, as we do that, as we exercise that generosity, we're doing what Jesus calls us to do. Demonstrating the good news. We could spend a whole week on that passage, but let me just say one thing. To reap a great harvest, we need to plant generously. To reap a great harvest, we need to plant generously. The more you plant, the more seeds you throw out there, the more invitations to Alpha, the more kind of conversations that you have with people at work about Jesus, about faith, whatever. The more we put out there, the greater the harvest of people who will come to faith in Jesus. I had 11 people on the Alpha weekend. It was wonderful. Loved it. God came in power, ministering the power of the Spirit. People encountered Jesus. In fact, people encountered Jesus just this last Thursday on Alpha. It was amazing. People were being prayed for. God doing you know, his healing work. Amazing. I'd love it if there were just a few more than 11 on the weekend away, if I'm honest. I'd love to see a great harvest here in Cheltenham. So we need to sow and plant generously. And remember, we can't outgive God. So the soldier saves lives. The athlete presses on to win the prize. And the farmer's harvest is a larger size. Let me just finish with one other picture. 
And um, this is for kind of Trinity Church and for those that are regulars here at Trinity, if I may. As I was praying about this, and I've been kind of just thinking quite a bit about Trinity over um, just the last couple of weeks, I felt God give me another picture, and that is of a pioneer. A pioneer. Just look at this picture. I mean, here's this crazy guy, the Red Bull guy, jumping out of a spaceship, you know, however many whatever up in space, down to earth, landing with a parachute. Who thinks that stuff up? Pioneers. People who have crazy ideas. And this church has been a church with, that within its DNA, within its heart, has been the pioneering nature, the pioneering culture. We've done some crazy things. We've, we've helped sow some seeds and some new ways of being church. We've, we've come up with some ideas that have been adopted by New Wine and, and other people. You know, we've, we've, we've sought to be a church that have thought of, who worship a creative God, to be creative in the ways that we do our evangelism and the way that we do our mercy ministries. And other churches have picked them up and adopted them, which is wonderful. We're a church that is a church that seeks to take new ground. And I truly believe that the Lord is calling us to step up again into the pioneering call of this church, to break new ground. So we could be a soldier, we can be an athlete, we can be a farmer, we can be a pioneer, we can be all of it in the grace and the empowering presence of God. One of the things I've said, I've said this evening, what could we do without? There's probably lots of things we could do without, lots of clutter in our lives, that, you know, time, things that we do that, do you know what we could just do with a, you know, less you know, of that box set or we don't really need to stay in on a Monday night and watch broad church or whatever it is. Maybe we could meet with someone and pray. I don't know, whatever. That we, can, we can give up lots of things. There is one thing that we cannot give up. There is one thing we cannot do without. Our connectedness to Jesus. Because the more connected we are to Jesus, the more we're empowered by his spirit to be the best version of ourselves, to be the best that we can be, daring to be the best, not for ourselves, but for him and for the reward that he will give us, yes, as we work out our salvation and as we advance the kingdom of God. Let's stand.